So today we uh, will be hearing again about Jesus and what he has done for us and how we can respond as disciples of Jesus Christ. We heard a little bit about that through the children's message already. And out of thanksgiving, as we are talking about, we are called to respond and to bear fruit in our lives. So today's passage is about discipleship. Having Jesus in us and producing the fruit that God desires us to produce. And as mentioned, we'll be reading from John 15 in a moment. But just to give you a bit of a context of where this passage is in Scripture, it is Jesus last week on earth, before his death. It's in John 14 where Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be leaving the earth physically. And in John 15, he states how he'll be remaining on this earth spiritually, in his people. So when Jesus says that he's always with us to the end of the age, he is always with us to the end of the age. And as we go through the passage of John 15 this morning, listen to how many times the word remain is mentioned. Listen to what Jesus is speaking to each of us, to you. Listen also to the progression of the fruit production, going from no fruit to fruit to more fruit, and to fruit that will last. So let's read from John 15. Before we do, let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word, that through your word we, again, are reminded of all that you are, all that you have done for us. How you first loved us. And we give you thanks for that, Lord. And also, how you call us to respond. To be fruit bearers in your kingdom here on earth today. So bless the reading of uh, this passage from John 15. Open our hearts, our minds, to the power of your Holy Spirit. Work in us to take away those nuggets. Not only just to be heard, but to live out beyond this one hour worship. And our daily worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. John 15, uh, verses 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Before we begin explaining and getting into this passage, I want to just take you aside for a moment and introduce another word, another phrase to you. Maybe it's not new, maybe it is new to some, but the phrase or the two words is mental model. We've been going through a series uh, titled Walking by Faith. And we've been introduced to some biblical terms already. We've been introduced to integrity and authenticity, courage and love. These words come directly to us out of Scripture. And today we're going to hear the phrase mental model. Not a phrase that's specifically used in Scripture, but you'll understand in a moment where it comes from. Because a mental model is the understanding that we have about something and about how that something works. So the understanding that we have about something and how that something works. For example, we all have a mental model of what a sermon is supposed to be. And some of you might think, well, sermons shouldn't introduce new words like this. And others will say, well, we need to introduce more words and more application. Some will think that, well, a sermon should be 40 minutes long. Others might wish that it's only 10 minutes long. Others, maybe even an hour. We don't all have the same mental models about things. We all have mental models of what a church is. Some think when we hear the word church, we think of the building. Others think that uh, church is something that happens at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Others understand church to be people wherever we are in this world. So when it comes to mental models, your mental model might be somewhat different than mine and different than the person beside you. And it's not that we have to have exactly the same mental models of something, but when we don't, what can happen, easily happen, is tensions. Because we think we're talking about the same thing, but we're actually talking about different mental models. We all have a mental model of God, who God is, what he has done. And probably there's many similarities, but perhaps there's some differences as well. We all have a mental model of what a disciple is, what a follower of Jesus is. Again, probably some different differences and probably many similarities. Well, in today's passage of John 15, Jesus is messing with people's mental models of what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus what it means to be in the community of believers. And Jesus starts off by saying, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. Now the people of Israel, they had this mental model. They had this understanding that God was the gardener, that God's in control of things. Of course, he's the creator. He's the gardener. However, in Old Testament passages, the vine was not always understood to be Jesus. The vine was Israel. 
Israel was God's chosen people. Israel was the vine that was planted. Psalm 80, verse 8. Israel was the vine that the gardener took care of. Israel is the vineyard and the people of Judah are the vines that God delights in. Isaiah 5, 7. So when people now in the New Testament with Jesus teaching them, when people heard about vines, in their minds, the vine represented the covenant people of God, planted, tended by him so that Israel would then produce fruit. And God's covenantal promise to the people was that God was going to keep this line. He was going to keep this vine of Israel going because the Savior was to be born. So imagine for a moment Jesus' listeners standing there and he rattles their understanding and says that he is the true vine. His people are the branches. Some branches will be pruned Others are going to be cut off and they'll be thrown into the fire and they will be burned. And they're probably just standing there like minds were blown, right? Because not all of Israel is automatically part of the covenantal community of God. They used to be the vine, but now Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And just because you're an Israelite does not mean that you are part of the vine. Whoa. Just because you say Jesus with your lips and you come to church does not make you a follower, a disciple. We cannot take for granted that we are a branch attached to the vine, the true vine of Jesus. Israel can no longer automatically be seen as vines growing in God's vineyard. Jesus is the true vine. And we must be completely attached to him or we're not. And there is eternal destruction. All of us have a mental model of what discipleship is, what a follower of Jesus is. And I think that too many have as part of their mental model that if people are morally or even religiously good, that's discipleship. That maybe coming to church on Sundays, keeping the Sabbath day holy, trying maybe not to swear too much during the week, behaving quite well before the week before the Lord's Supper, understanding what reverence or irreverence is, and all these things add up to be, being part of the vine. But it's not about our works. It's all about His works. God's works. It's not about how many years you've served for this committee or or that ministry or how much money you give or you don't give. It's not about the knowledge you have about God and about Jesus. Remember James 2 verse 19 that even the demons believe in God. If it were any of these things, we would all fail because our natural tendency is to fall short. Just recall back what happened in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. We learn from Genesis and throughout Scripture that our tendency is to disobey God and to break out, actually, to break out of the relationship with Him. And we have a tendency, just like Adam and Eve, to hide from God. So what matters is not religion, not how we do or don't do church, or how good we are. What matters is our relationship 
with Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. At our elders meeting a couple weeks ago, we were reminded through a devotional that salvation can be missed by 18 inches. All our knowledge comes into our heads, into our minds. We learn as much as we can. But then that knowledge fails to move 18 inches down into our hearts. What matters is our relationship with Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. How connected are we to the true vine? And if we're connected to the true vine, what fruit are we bearing? Again, the fruit doesn't save us. Jesus saves. We sang that song this morning too. We heard those, that through the words, Jesus is mighty to save. But the fruit, fruit rather, is the byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. So I don't know what your idea or your mental model of discipleship is, but it needs to include a deep-rooted, connected relationship to Jesus, who's the true vine. It needs to include remaining in Jesus. It needs to include bearing fruit that lasts. It needs to include love for Jesus and for one another. And that does mean putting our petty preferences and differences aside for the sake of the other, for the sake of the kingdom. So discipleship involves our willingness to be radically obedient to love. Last week we were blessed with the Teen Challenge Choir and, and those who are here, we heard their testimonies uh, and their testimonies reminded us of how God has, has taken their old way of life, put their old way of life behind Him and then He transforms His people more and more into His likeness, giving us freedom, giving us new life. And John 15 is referring to the life that we can have through Jesus. Because Jesus wants to give us a full life. Not an empty life. Not even a half life. A full life. So in verse 5, Jesus again repeats, I'm the vine. And recall, he already established in verse 1, he said, I'm the true vine. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So don't rely on our works, right? Now we're not connected to any random vine here. We're connected to the true vine. We're connected to Jesus because he is first connected to us. Now, Scripture talking about the true vine and being connected to the true vine means that there could very well be, and there are, other vines out there. There could be other non-true vines. And maybe it's those other vines that God's people are gravitating towards and desire to be connected to. And maybe even some people are getting to, think they're getting their life support from these other vines. And perhaps the other vines are allowing us to get through life rather well. We're, we're living pretty good life. Those are maybe the vines of financial prosperity or the vines of educational pursuit, the vines of addictions, or, or even the vine of holding on to senseless traditions. But these other vines are not the true vine. It is only through the true vine, that is through Jesus Christ, that we will live our life to the fullest. Because we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Jesus needs to be the center of your life. Remain in him as he remains in you. Now the word remain is mentioned several times here in these verses. And remain is a verb. It's an active verb. And actually it's used as a command here. And this verb has two subjects. Jesus remains and we are commanded to remain. We disciples of Jesus have a responsibility to remain. To remain in Christ. But Jesus also remains in us. And the emphasis is first on Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can't even remain in him apart from him. So the emphasis is first that Jesus has remained in you. And when we have baptisms here in our congregation, we are reminded of those powerful words. We're reminded of that powerful promise, that assurance that Jesus remains in us. When he says, I'm your God, you're my kid, you're my people. Out of nothing that we've done, out of his amazing grace. So this text is emphasizing Jesus. It emphasizes how he's the true vine, that he extends his grace to his disciples, that he extends his love by remaining in you, by loving you. Again, we do nothing without him. When Jesus left this earth physically, he gave his followers the power of the Holy Spirit. People, as followers of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus in you. And you do have a responsibility. But know that Jesus first extends his grace to you. He remains in you. Yes, our natural tendency, we have a tendency to fall away. But God continues to give his grace. He continues to pour out his spirit into us. He's given us a way out of being that branch, that loose branch that's thrown into the fire and not producing fruit. Jesus has initiated a relationship with you. In response, you need to remain in him. So the passage from John 15 challenges us with this command, with this responsibility. Remain in the true vine. Remain in Jesus. John 15 focuses on relationships and love. It focuses on remaining in a relationship with Jesus in the most practical way that we can grow our relationship with Jesus is to abide in his word. Romans 10, 17, his word increases our faith. John 15, 7, his word empowers us and encourages us to live according to his will. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, God's word compels us to share with others. John 15, 11, God's word satisfies us. As followers of Jesus, we must remain in Jesus And we do that by reading his word. And that's how we will be transformed. That's how we will grow more and more Christ-like. And through his word, you will begin to bear fruit. Because the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus is in you. So let's talk about producing fruit for a moment. Because branches and grapes, they don't just appear overnight. It takes years for the vine and the plant to grow and then to finally produce fruit that will last. And this passage, as mentioned, shows the progression of growth in the fruit. And verse 2, as mentioned, the passage begins by talking about no fruit. It's quite straightforward. No fruit, 
The branches are dead. They'll be cut off. Eternal death is real. But God has a way out for his people. Because God desires his people to bear fruit. And so he is working in his people. And as the verse progresses, Jesus refers to bearing fruit and then being more fruitful. And as we get to verses 5 and 8, the passage refers to bearing much fruit, an abundance of fruit. And there's progression that occurs here. God, through Jesus in us, desires that his disciples bear much fruit and fruit that lasts. And that's discipleship. When we are attached to the true vine, to Jesus Christ, when Jesus remains in us and we in him, when we have this wonderful relationship with him, we will be that branch that bears fruit. As verse 8 states, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we'll see it. So we're to ask ourselves, am I showing myself as a disciple of Jesus Bearing much fruit. What is my mental model of discipleship? I hope it's remaining in Jesus, loving Him, loving one another, making the love of Jesus known to others. I think too often we cut short the work of the Lord by making excuses. Verse 16, Jesus has chosen us and he's chosen us to bear fruit. I think a common excuse that I hear more often from people is that, okay, we'll bear fruit, we'll show the fruit to others, but first we have to work on our own. First we have to work on our own church, on our own selves. We have to get our, get our act together first. And then we can reach out to others. That's an excuse. And we need to stop with excuses. Because the church is full of messy people. The church is messy. People are messy. And we just have to start bearing fruit on account of what Jesus has done for us. He's calling us to grow our relationship with him. Absolutely. But he's also calling us to bring others into relationship with him. Absolutely. Verse 8, we read, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Yes, grow yourselves. But maybe God will grow us using messier people than even us that will show us what discipleship really is. And that's where love comes in. Because the verb love is repeated at least eight times. Jesus says in verse 12, love each other as I've loved you. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. You see, love is the fruit that is produced. Karen shared with us this morning the fruit of the Spirit. By all means, read the passage in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Start with love. This passage is focused on love. There's a link to remaining in Jesus, to bearing fruit, to loving one another. We're not only called to like each other. We're not only called to put up with each other. We're not only called to live with one another. We're not only called to worship with one another. We're actually being called to love, commanded to love one another. Our eternal life matters to Jesus. But our life on this earth matters to Jesus too. 
and how we live our life, our, the fruit that we bear, our relationship today with Jesus matters. Our relationship with one another today matters. It matters for tomorrow and for today. And so that's where that pruning comes in as well. Jumping all over here, we're jumping back to verse 2. Jesus cuts off every branch, or the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have to let some things go. I'm sure God has some things that he'd like to prune from us. Perhaps there are certain behaviors that we need to just allow God to remove from our lives. When it comes to certain behaviors, dysfunctional behaviors, well, we often state, well, that's just the way I am, or that's just the way I've always been. I know, I've used it. But God demands growth from us. He desires change. He desires transformation. He desires us. And there are things that we have to intentionally work on in our lives and allow God's Spirit to prune us. We all have things in our life that need to be renounced, that need to be repented of. And we need to allow God to prune our lives. Sometimes it doesn't even feel good. But we need to ask what needs pruning in your life so that much fruit can grow and love can be expressed. What major things need to be released? What petty things need to be released? Maybe we need somewhere, where do we need our financial life pruned? Where do we need our devotional life pruned? Where do we need our leisure and recreational life pruned? Where do we need our spiritual life pruned? Where can we learn to love one another more and more? How can we respond to Jesus for all that he has done for us? And we will fall short. But we're again reminded that God's grace is so amazing that he will forgive me, that he will forgive you, that he will prune us, that he will desire for us to respond by remaining in him and bearing fruit that will, that will last. Loving him and loving one another. Because God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to save you and me. So what does your mental model of discipleship look like? I hope we're on the same page. That it's all about Jesus. And his love for us. His sacrificial, unconditional love for us. And how we can respond by following him. By loving him. And loving one another. Bearing fruit that lasts to the glory of our God and Father in heaven. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you've done amazing things through the power of your Holy Spirit. You've done amazing things in the lives of your people. You've done amazing things in your church. And through your Spirit, continue to turn our hearts to you. You've chosen us to bear fruit and much fruit that lasts. And where we may lack, have a lack of understanding what discipleship is through your spirit working us to not accept a mediocre life in Christ, but a new life, a complete life, a fulfilled life in Christ. Continue to work in our hearts and minds, transforming us more and more into your likeness and help us to love you for all that you have done for us. 
to love one another for all that you have done for us. We desire to please you, to live our lives for you, Lord, and we pray this only in the name of Jesus. Amen.